Forgotten Classics, where a good story never goes out of style. I'm Julie, and here we have episode 361 of Forgotten Classics, where we are almost exactly in the middle of reading The Wind Boy. But more about that later. First, let's have a podcast highlight. This one is called The Next Picture Show. It is a panel discussion that comes out in two pieces every two weeks, if this makes sense. So two pieces come out, and two weeks later, another two pieces come out. And what they do is a great idea. They look at new movies coming out and then look back at the movie that influenced them in the first place. So you have a lot of really interesting pairings, such as one episode looking at All the President's Men, the next one looking at Spotlight or The Creature from the Black Lagoon, and you know this one, right? The Shape of Water. Or Ed Wood and the Disaster Artist, Ghost World and Lady Bird, Paths of Glory and Wonder Woman. And sometimes the pairings are really obvious. It will be the first Star Wars movie and the new reboot, well, (laughs) new-ish, it's not new now, but the reboot that J.J. Abrams did or the old Blade Runner and the new Blade Runner. So those you can predict, but some of the pairings are really imaginative. And the great thing is in each one, they discuss each movie independently. And they will in the second episode, of course, start more obviously comparing the two movies, what they share, what they don't share, the message they send that they share in common or don't share. I really love them. They're about maybe half an hour, 45 minutes long, each one. And I don't listen to the ones that I don't know the movie. So sometimes I may just listen to the first one or the second one of a pairing. But the times that I've listened to both because I've seen both movies, I've really enjoyed them a lot. So they work independently or as the pairing. Give them a try. The next picture show. Now let's talk about The Wind Boy. This was more of how the children's lives are going now that they know about the existence of the clear land. And the first one, with the kids going on the walk and Gentian having that really surreal, creepy, nightmarish experience of seeing her mother in the clear land talking to the Wind Boy and not being able to reach her and maybe she's gone forever. I mean, it was really vivid. I could really understand why she was so upset and was looking and looking for her mother. What it's saying about art, I don't know, because I don't think everything's deliberately meant to. A lot of times it's just interesting in terms of the story itself, but it was creepy. And I also really loved the descriptions of the wood before she gets quiet enough that she happens to see through the pool into the clear land, where it's talking about looking at the little rocks in the bottom of the pool And some of the gray rocks aren't really just gray and the birds coming back because she's being so quiet. It had the feeling of somebody who's really been sitting quietly in a wood just looking at things. It made me feel as if I was there. So I loved that. And then the part about going to church. It had so many different elements that I found interesting. So, you know, they go to church because the mother says this is how you learn to fit in also. And they get there and Miss Todd is completely different because she's caught up in the music that she's playing for the church 
in a way that she never is at school by anything that she's doing there while she's teaching the kids. So it's a whole different look at her transformed through her art and her creativity that she's bringing to it as a person. And then the music itself, the art changes the children's sight. Their hearts are changed. They have a touch of the divine after they've been swept up into that place, the Clearlands Church, and experienced each their own moment of transcendence. I really liked that because that's kind of how you feel after you've had that little bit of transcendence of connecting with God more vividly than usual. I felt as if without mentioning God, (laughs) it really did a good job of bringing you that experience. So um, this is one of my favorite chapters. Now, we're going to get back into real life again experiencing going to school with the kids and that whole day and seeing what that's like. It brings a couple, of course, of very interesting ideas to us and some interesting events. So we won't spend any more time talking here. Let's dive in. Chapter 9, The Other School That Monday morning, the minute Gentian and Kay had slipped into their seats, they looked to see if Miss Todd had kept her Sunday face, the face that was so alive. But alas, she had not. Now she was her school self again, brisk and businesslike, but the aliveness was gone. She began the morning with an arithmetic example, the same for all. And those who get the correct answer in five minutes shall have turns in making up problems for the class, she promised. That will be interesting, won't it? Now, although Gentian had been hearing the language of this adopted country for more than a year, she was still slow at understanding when anyone spoke as briskly as Miss Todd always did speak in school. I must tell you that Gentian was a little slower at everything than Kay. It was not that she did not think as much and as truly, it was that she did not think so quickly. And now she knitted her brow over the very wording of the example that Miss Todd had dictated. How was she ever to begin figuring until she remembered the meanings of the words? She looked up at the clock with its moving hands. Her cheeks began to get hot. She glanced worriedly across at Kay but he, all unaware of her trouble, was bent over his paper, his pencil moving surely and swiftly. If he had understood, why couldn't she? On the way back to her paper, her eyes met Miss Todd's inquiring ones. What is it, Gentian? Miss Todd had asked. If you have your answer already, please bring it to me. Miss Todd must have known there had not been time for Gentian to do the problem, especially with her eyes wandering around the room. The words were spoken only to shame the little girl for idling. Gentian shook her head. I suppose that gesture means you have not the answer yet, Miss Todd said. Then please attend to your work as the others are doing. Gentian looked dutifully down at the paper on her desk, but now she found that even the meanings of the few words she had understood when she took them down had left her. The figures and letters danced crazily all together back and forth and up and down on the yellow scratch paper. Her cheeks were getting hotter and hotter for she felt that Miss Todd was still watching her. 
It seemed hours to Gentian before the given five minutes were up, but Miss Todd's words then filled her with dismay. They were, "'Now I'll put down your pencils, please, while Gentian gives us her answer.' Gentian looked at Miss Todd with doubtful surprise. Didn't she know that Gentian had not made one mark on her paper? Hadn't she been watching all the time? Yes, Miss Todd's expression told Gentian that she knew. Well, then, why— Gentian dropped her head now in the shame that Miss Todd thought it well for her to feel. I haven't got the answer, she said in a low voice. I don't understand. Don't whisper, please. Stand up and repeat what you muttered loudly enough for me and your schoolmates to hear. Gentian stood by her desk. I have not got an answer. I have not done the problem. Not done it at all? Not even begun? No, not even begun. Miss Todd was silent at that, and all the children held their breath. How many have done the problem? she at last asked. Several pupils raised their hands, and Kay was among them. You see, Miss Todd said to Gentian, many of the others have finished while you haven't even begun. I know, of course, that you are slower, but you might at least have tried. Again she was silent. Gentian stood still. She was looking at her sandals, for she had not the heart to look anywhere else. What were they all thinking of her? And Kay, oh, how ashamed of his sister he must be. Miss Todd, out of her silence, came to a decision. I must do with you then, Gentian, what I have not had to do with another child for years. It is an old-fashioned punishment and quite out of keeping with my modern methods, but I can think of no other way to impress you with your lack of cooperation. You must wear a dunce cap and stand in the corner here behind me for half an hour. A giggle went round the room, but Miss Todd's swift glance sought the gigglers out, and the school was as silent as before. Then she made the high dunce cap very quickly and expertly from an old map that she took from a drawer of her desk. She pinned it into shape with pins from another drawer. Then she beckoned a gentian to her, and when gentian got there, her eyes still on her sandals, her cheeks a hot poppy red with shame, Miss Todd fitted the dunce cap down on her bright fairy gold head. That done, so snugly there was no chance of its tumbling off, Miss Todd turned Gentian about by the shoulders and gave her a gentle shove toward the corner. How Gentian found the corner safely I do not know, for her eyes were quite blurred with tears that she was steadfastly winking back. Now, Gentian heard Miss Todd say to her other pupils, you are not to stare at Gentian any more. Kay may stand and give us his answer. Gentian knew very well that Kay's pleasure in being so chosen was entirely spoiled by his shame and sorrow for his sister. Her shoulders began to shake, and two tears escaped her hardest blinking and rolled down her cheeks to splash on the faded blue of her dress and add to its dimness. Oh, I mustn't, I mustn't cry out loud, she said to herself. Kay would never forgive me. I must stop, stop, stop. Now Gentian, in spite of all her gentleness, was a brave little girl, and using all the braveness that was hers, she did manage to wink her tears away. 
The minute they were gone and her eyes were clear, she instantly forgot all her troubles in her utter surprise at what had happened. She was not looking at the corner of the schoolroom at all. No, she was standing just inside another school and facing it. She knew at once by the clear crystal light that she had got through her own crystal tears somehow to a school in the clear land, the school that hung in the air above her everyday school. Why, of course, the school must have its other school, too, just as the shoe store had its other shoe store, the artist's mansion its other mansion rising into the clouds, and the village church its other church. But she had not thought of that before. This school was very different from the school she had just left back there. Its walls and roof were nothing but delicate green vines and white star flowers growing on trellises. It was just a big arbor with a grassy floor, and the pupils were sitting about cross-legged on the ground. The teacher, though, sat at the end of a low green garden bench, and she was helping a little clear child, the youngest in the school, with a problem. He was on his knees beside her on the bench, leaning against her shoulder, watching the figure she was making on the tablet in her hand. That was why, just at first, Gentian did not guess that she was the teacher at all, for in her own school no one would think of leaning against Miss Todd in that happy, carefree way. But the minute the teacher spoke, Gentian knew that she must be the teacher, for her voice had such sure, clear authority. She was looking at Gentian, a little surprised, perhaps, to see a human child standing there in her arbor school. "'What is it, little girl?' she asked. Do you want something here? Gentian did not answer quickly. I have told you she was apt to think slowly, but that was not her only reason for forgetting to answer promptly now. This teacher was so lovely. Her gown was yellow and fell from her shoulders in soft folds and trailed out on the grass beside her like a long, wide sunbeam. Her soft golden hair was braided in two thick plaits that lay down her breasts and hung far below her knees. Around her brow was a shining circlet of starflowers, violets, and hepaticas. And that brow, because she was a clear person, was shining and wide. If you had suddenly broken out of your school into its other school in the air and found a teacher there all made up of light, would you have remembered to answer her first question promptly? I think I would have done just as Gentian did and gazed wide-eyed. But when Gentian did remember, she said, Oh, excuse me, please. I am sorry I am so slow. I don't want anything. You don't want anything, exclaimed the teacher. Are you sure? Gentian laughed then, her merriest laugh that so few people ever heard. Well, yes, of course, I want a lot of things. I want my father to find us, and I want my mother to have a new frock. I want the wind boy to get his mask back, too. Oh, I do want many things. But don't you want anything we can give you here in this school? asked the teacher. You must have come for something. I want to be not so slow at problems, but perhaps I was born slow and nobody can help me there. At that, the teacher laughed, and all her pupils laughed gaily, musically. Of course you're not born slow. What a quaint idea. And that is just why you have come to my school, then, to learn to think quickly. What is the problem that is bothering you at this minute? 
Genshin went to her and showed the paper which she had kept in her hand. Here it is, she said. I can't even understand the words. It is the very problem we ourselves were doing when you came up. I am helping little Basil here with his because he is so small. Then the teacher turned to her school. Which of you would like to help the little human? she asked. All the clear children were eager to help Genshin, and they raised their hands to say so. But one little girl away at the farther side of the arbor in her hand held up a little stone and smiled at Genshin. It was Aziel. The teacher saw that special friendly smile and the keepsake. I see that you know Aziel, she said, so she may be the one to help you. Aziel rose quickly and came across to where Genshin was standing. The playmates were glad to be together again. At once they sat down close to each other on the grass and looked at Genshin's paper. What is it you can't understand? Aziel whispered, so as not to disturb the other children who had now gone back to their work. Well, it's the words first. What do they mean? Now it is not easy for a little girl of Aziel's age to explain the meanings of words, no matter how well she understands them herself. But Aziel tried hard, and here in this bright quiet, Genshin found that the meanings of the words were coming back into her mind all of their own accord anyway. Oh, I understand now, she said suddenly. I see it all. I'd like to try finishing it for myself, I think. All right, Aziel agreed. I'll do mine at the same time and we can compare answers. So each little girl bent over her knee and worked out the problem without help. And when they were done, the answers were the same. The teacher came over to look. Yes, yours are both right, she assured the little girls. And Genshin has made her figure so round and clear that we might all take a lesson from her. I would be very proud to have you for a pupil of mine. How happy Genshin was made. Oh, I wish I were a pupil of yours, she cried. Well, even though you belong in the school down there, the teacher assured her. Still, when things get too difficult, you know, you may come up to us where you can do your best in bright quiet. Oh, I shall never dread school again then. We are going to dance now. Would you like to stay a while longer and dance too? But I don't know how. Mother hasn't sent us to dancing school. Oh, it's not that sort of dancing at all. You shall see. Only stay. May we have a circle dance today, begged Aziel. Oh, may it be a circle dance? The teacher nodded. All the children then joined hands in a circle. But how shall I tell you of that dance? It was in the clear land, you see, and no dancing was ever like it down here. Gentian's silver sandals helped her a great deal, of course. They were so light, and in the clear land they could climb the air, remember? In a circle, and to the music of the leaves in the vine and a splashing fountain not far off, the children started dancing. They danced away out of the arbor, over a meadow, tranquil in the crystal light, to the music of a stream that ran through it, then into a wood and there to the music of bird songs, over a hill to the music of the light spring wind in the long grass, and then up into the blue air to the music of their own happiness. Those who were not wearing silver sandals were drawn along and up by those who were. And I think those dancers felt as the wind fills in springtime when it moves across a cherry orchard all in blossom. 
At last, still in a circle, they came into the arbor again and dropped to rest on the grass. The teacher was waiting there. She took Gentian's hand and, bending down to her, said, Your half hour is up, little human. Miss Todd wants you back. Here is your cap. The dunce cap, which Gentian had forgotten at once on coming into this other school, had fallen off just as she danced out of the arbor. The teacher was putting it back on her fairy gold head now, but smiling so beautifully right down into her eyes as she did it that Gentian did not mind the cap a bit. Then the teacher turned her around and gave her a gentle push toward the corner of her own schoolroom. And it was well that the dunce cap had been put back, for at that instant Gentian felt another hand on her shoulder, a hand that turned her around. Her eyes were seeing sunlight again and the four walls of her own schoolroom. It was Miss Todd's hand on her shoulder. The arbor, the clear children, the other teacher, where were they? They were there, of course, still. It was only that Gentian was seeing in sunlight now, not in that other crystal-clear light. Well, Gentian, Miss Todd was saying, you may take your seat, and next time perhaps you will remember at least to start a problem when I... But Miss Todd forgot what she had meant to say in amaze at Gentian's happy, smiling face. Never had she seen a child's face sunnier in all her years of teaching. She had not expected this, of course, from a little girl who had been standing with her face in a corner and a dunce cap on her head for half an hour. And Gentian's schoolmates were as amazed as Miss Todd, for there was no understanding it. But Gentian did not notice their surprise. She was too full of her experience. She looked up at Miss Todd, though, and said, I have found out how to do that example. I couldn't do it before because I didn't remember what the words meant. But now I have remembered. That is well, said Miss Todd, a little doubtfully. Then you may do it now on the board for the class, explaining it as you go. And Gentian did take a piece of chalk and work the problem. She remembered what the other teacher had said about her beautifully formed figures, and now she tried to make these even rounder and clearer than they had been up there. She did the figuring quickly and explained it well. And Miss Todd, who was suddenly truly sorry that she had made Gentian wear the dunce cap, said, Very well done. Very well done indeed. But you should have told me, Gentian, that you didn't understand the wording of the problem. I would gladly have helped you. Then came recess, and Kay quickly sought his sister out. Standing so that their schoolmates might not see, he squeezed her hand. Don't you care, Gentian, dear? he whispered. If anybody laughs about that dunce cap or even says a word, well, they'd better try, that's all. Kay's other hand was clenched and his mouth set. Thanks, Kay, his sister whispered back, squeezing his hand in turn. But I didn't mind a bit, not after the first. I'll tell you all about it going home. And oh, please don't fight about me, Kay, no matter what they do. You know how mother hates your fighting. But Kay had no need to fight for there was not a single jeer, and no one cried, Oh, see the dunce! Who would be tempted to mock the happy, confident little girl Gentian had become? Instead, one little girl called Tag as she ran by at that minute, touching Gentian lightly on the shoulder, and Gentian whirled away in a noisy game of Tag with all the children. But she was not it for long, as you must know, for she could run like the wind.
Chapter 10 The Secret Door That night, the family in the little brown house finished their supper before it was time to light the lamps. The world was just turning violet and the sky dimming. We are through early tonight, Detra said. I shall have a long evening for the wind boy. I am going to break him all up and begin quite over, for I shall never be satisfied with him as he is. The children were sorry that their mother was going to destroy the statuette. It was so almost like the wind boy they knew that they had become more attached to it than anything their mother had ever made before. But if I do him better, Detra said, you will be glad then. Be sure you keep him like the wind boy, though, Kay begged. He is like that, you know, only more so. Detra laughed at that, but in her heart she knew that Kay was right. Yes, I will keep him the same boy, she promised. Only I will make him truer. Then she ran upstairs to bring down the statuette. The children were still at the table, although they had finished their supper. Outdoors it is getting into purple now, Gentian said. It's like the wind boy's eyes. Let's go out and see if he's in the cherry tree yet. Nan had told them that he watched for the masker there at twilight. All right, let's. But at that minute came the scratching and rustling at the window that the children remembered. Quickly they turned their faces. Yes! There in the open window showed the mask. The horrid pointed ears, the horrid grin froze their hearts as always before when they had seen it. They stood, staring. Would it jump over the sill and rush toward them in the room? It looked as though it might. It was staring straight back at them. Then suddenly Nan opened the door from the kitchen. She was coming in to clear the table. The masker saw the opening door and dropped down out of sight. They heard its feet racing away right across Kay's own garden plots. Kay forgot his terror at that. He sprang up and was away out the door after the masker. Gentian stayed behind only the briefest instant, screwing up her courage, and then she too dashed away. Nan, looking after them, smiled, for she had no fear that harm would come to them. Kay reached the door just in time to glimpse the blue cloak of the masker whisking away through the hole in the lilac hedge. Mother, of course, did not want the children to go into the artist's garden, but Kay very well knew that this would make a difference. She would be only too proud of him should he catch the masker and capture the mask, no matter where he went to do it. Seen from behind, and while it was running away like this, the masker was not terrifying at all. Far from it. It was just a slim little figure no taller than Kay himself in a blue cape to its heels. Gentian was through the hole in the hedge almost as soon as Kay, and by the time he had reached the sloping long green terrace running right up to the artist's front door, she was quite up to him. But the fleeing masker was far ahead, already on the broad gravel drive, running for dear life. Well, it must turn about when it reached the house and go in some other direction. Then they would have it. They took hold of hands and ran on. But the masker did not turn back when it reached the house. No, it dashed on and around a corner and was lost to the children's eyes. 
To their delight now they heard the whir of wings and saw the wind boy a little way above them flying fast through the purple twilight. Oh, splendid! He'll catch it surely, the children thought and followed on. But the wind boy did not catch the masker that evening, nor did the children, for a strange thing happened. The wind boy had followed around the corner and overtaken the fleeing masker. He had no thought of failure now and glided to the ground, reaching a hand to seize the mask. Then, suddenly, the masker turned about, just escaping his hand, pushed behind a syringia bush that grew against the house, threw open a little low door in the wall, and was gone. The wind boy stopped stock still, amazed. Well, he knew that he could never open a door down here in this land. His were a wind boy's hands, strong and useful enough in his own clear land, but quite helpless with anything so heavy as this door. When Gentian and Kay came running up, his face was clouded indeed. Where did it go? Kay cried. In at a door behind that syringia bush, the wind boy said with deep disgust. Right into the house? Yes, right into the house, of course. "'Else I'd have got that mask at last. "'I never came so near it before.' "'Kay was troubled. "'It'll frighten Rosemarie, then,' he cried. "'Oh, she'll be terribly frightened.' "'Then he turned and ran. "'The wind boy and Gentian had no idea what he meant to do, "'but they followed to see. "'Kay was set on doing a very brave thing. "'He ran around the great house "'and up the wide, shallow marble steps to the front door.' There, standing in the twilight, a determined little boy, he pulled the bell. Gentian and the wind boy followed him. They would stand by. The door was promptly opened by a maidservant. She stared down at Kay, surprised. What is it? Why do you come to the front door? She asked with curiosity. A child at the great front door was the last thing she had expected to find. Please! said Kay. That masker, you know the horrid thing with long ears and queer mouth? Well, it has just now gone right into your house. It will frighten Rosemarie. The maid screamed. A masker in this house, she cried, stepping very quickly out onto the marble step beside Kay. Then not a step holster her back until it has been got out. But Rosemarie will be frightened, Kay pleaded. She may be frightened now. You must go to take care of her. I do not know whether the maid would have gone to see Rosemarie or not, for anyone could tell that she was pretty well frightened herself, had the village policeman at that minute not come up the steps to find what the trouble was about. He had seen the children at the artist's front door and felt they did not belong there. What's all this? he asked, for he had heard Kay's words. What will frighten Miss Rosemarie? The masker, Kay answered, turning around. "'glad now of the policeman's interference and not a bit afraid. "'It came to our window and we chased it. "'We followed it right up to the house here and then around to the side. "'It ran in at a door behind the syringia bush there. "'The wind boy saw it go in at the door.' "'There isn't any door behind the syringia bush,' said the maid. "'You must be dreaming.' "'And who saw it?' asked the policeman. The wind boy. He came flying past us over our heads and got around the corner first. That is why he was in time to see it go in at the little door. Where is the wind boy now? Why, right here by Gentian. The policeman looked down at Gentian, but did not see the wind boy. 
His eyes were not nearly clear enough for that. He stared at Kay and Gentian very suspiciously then. Come show us that door, he said gruffly. There just isn't any door there at all, so why bother? snapped the maid. She had begun to get over her fright and to think the children impudent and mischievous. The policeman thought them impudent and mischievous, too. But he remembered Nan and the way he had looked through her eyes to the mountains. He hesitated. I'll give them every chance, he thought then. That girl certainly thinks they're all right, but nevertheless there's something very queer about all this. Out loud, he said, come anyway and we'll make certain about the door. But Kay cried, Rosemarie, what about her? Aren't you going to see she's not being frightened? You're right, said the policeman then. If by any chance the masker did get into the house, she may very well be frightened. Better go in, Beta. Beta was the maid's name, and see that the little miss is safe. No, indeed, I'll not go a step, said Beta, frightened again, now that she thought the policeman was taking the children's story seriously. What? You afraid of the masker, too? Then I'll have to go with you, and you children don't move a step from here until we get back. I mean to go to the bottom of this. Indeed, it's more my duty than ordinary since the artist is away. The great door closed, and the children waited. They had no temptation to go away. They were only too eager to stay and learn whether the masker was caught. The wind boy was on tiptoes with excitement. The three sat down on the lowest marble step until the great door should open again. But it was a long while before the door opened. The artist's mansion was a very, very big one indeed, and there were many rooms, corners, passages, and closets into which the policeman had to look to make sure the masker was not hiding. He was rather cross when at last he did come out, for against his reason he had hoped to get his hands on the masker at last and so win the artist's praise and reward when he should come home tomorrow. "'Well, youngsters,' he said shortly, Come now and show me that wonderful door that probably isn't a door at all. Miss Rosemarie is busy at her lessons, safe and quiet as you would be if your mother took proper care of you and kept you out of mischief evenings. Where are you anyway? For he did not see them just at first in their place on the low step. But Kay had jumped up. Our mother does take proper care of us, cried Kay. We just followed the masker to catch it, that was all. She would want us to do that. "'Likely enough,' answered the policeman, striding down the steps. "'But step lively now and show us that door.' So Gentian and Kay and the wind boy led the way around the house to the syringia bush. Of course, Beta and the policeman could not see the wind boy, although it was his hands that parted the sweet-smelling white blossoms that brushed the hidden door. The policeman and Beta thought it was just a little wind stirring on the edge of night that did it but even when the flowers were parted, they could not see the door. Even Kay and Gentian could not see the door. Kay and Gentian were startled. Had the wind boy made a mistake? And what would the policeman think about that? Oh, he would mistrust them more than ever now. He would think they had lied. They were troubled indeed. But the wind boy said, Push against the wall right here. That's all the masker did, and it opened just as easy. Kay thought it would be too silly to push against the wall where the wind boy was pointing. It seemed so much like all the rest of the wall there. 
just wall, without a sign of a door. The policeman could not hear the wind boy's voice. He only thought to himself, the wind is rising a little. He began to laugh, not a very pleasant laugh, for now he thought he had found the children out. They were truly, in his words, bold ones and mischief-makers. But Gentian stepped forward and did as the wind boy said. She pushed against the blank wall with all her strength, and the next she knew she was lying flat on her face in a very dark place. There had been no need to push so hard, for the door opened at a touch. But she was not hurt a bit. Up she jumped and stood alone in the pitchy dark, for the door had swung to behind her. But now that those outside knew that there was a door, they pushed it open again and let her out. "'Well, I never!' Beta gasped, poking her head in at the door that was now held open by the policeman. "'I never heard of such a thing at all, and who'd ever guess it? Why, there's just nothing to show!' The policeman was as surprised as Beta. "'It's a secret door,' he said. "'That's what it is. We'll have to see where it leads.' "'Why, it's just the coat closet under the back stairs,' Beta exclaimed, craning her neck. "'A body coming in could run right up the back stairs and be seen by nobody.' "'Well, then I shall just have to ask the artist when he returns whether he knows about this door,' the policeman said importantly. "'And you, Beta, please say nothing about it.' "'But my master won't be back until tomorrow,' Beta cried. Until then, am I to sleep in a house with a secret door and not even a key in it and say nothing to nobody? Yes, that is just what you are to do. And you children, you too say nothing. The children nodded. It was very exciting and surely very important to be sharing a secret with the policeman. But at that minute, Gentian! Kay! Time to come in! Come in! Nan was standing in the doorway of the little brown house calling them. So they are looking out for you after all, said the policeman, but not gruffly now. I'm glad to know it. But I might have trusted that girl to have an eye out for you anyway. She'd know where you were. He meant Nan. In all his life he was never to forget her and the far-off mountains he had seen through her clear eyes. Are you coming with us, wind boy? Do, whispered Gentian. But the wind boy shook his head. No, he said. I'm going to stay around by this door to make sure the masker doesn't come out. Oh, if I had only caught it. So Gentian and Kay had to run home without their new playmate, for Nan was calling again. When they had gone, the policeman said to Beta, You'd better go in too, or the other maids will be asking you all sorts of questions. I shall stay here a bit to think things over. Beta went, reluctant and grumbling, but not daring to disobey the policeman. Then the policeman sat down in front of the syringia bush to do his thinking of things over at his ease, but his eyes were alert and keen enough as they rested on the hidden door in spite of all his puzzling thoughts. Beside him, waiting to and watching, sat the wind boy, cross-legged, his purple wings folded down his back. But the policeman knew nothing of the wind boy. Now and then he did hear the rustle of the wind boy's wings as he changed his position a little. But if he thought about the sound at all, it was to him just the night wind among the syringia flowers. So the purple twilight fell deeper and deeper all around them until they were just the faintest outlines in the dusk. 
But as the purple deepened, the policeman, staying on so carelessly there in the gathering dew, forgot to puzzle about the massacre in the secret door. He had fallen to thinking about Nan instead, that strange girl who had come to work for the foreigners in the little brown house. It is not every day you can see far-off purple mountains just by looking into a girl's clear eyes. And the wind boy was thinking about Genshin. What a brave little girl she had been to run after the masker. Kay was brave, of course. Boys had to be. But Genshin was brave because she had promised to help him, the wind boy. He was sure of that. So the policeman and the wind boy thought their thoughts without interfering with each other in the purple twilight on watch at the secret door.